Good morning. Thanks uh, for joining us this morning. I see uh, a lot of you were at our sunrise service as well, and, and it's great that we were able to, to finally use the structure that we built out there about a year ago. Um, I know that uh, this last year to say that it's been kind of challenging would probably be an understatement, right? I mean, I think about a year ago that uh, that structure sat empty out there. We couldn't use it. In this building, as a matter of fact, on Easter Sunday, I think there was maybe five or six of us in the building, and, and the rest of you had to join us all online because that was the only option that we had. And, um, and so it's been tough to deal with this pandemic that we've gone through, right? And it's caused friction. It's caused division. The church hasn't even been immune to that. I mean, over this last year, there have been times uh, where at one end of the spectrum, we have people say, well, you ought to just go ahead and have church and don't take any precautions because otherwise you're just living in fear. And at the other end of the spectrum, we have people, well, you're not really doing enough to protect people. And, and so even within the church, there's, there's been division over this pandemic. And then you take and you throw on top of that some of the other things that have been going on in our culture over the last year. I mean, all the, uh, the social unrest and and talking about social injustice and racial injustice, some of the, probably the most contentious political season we've ever seen, right? And so it's easy to, to look at all of that and, and to really not have a whole lot of hope. This morning, Ryan did a great job of talking about the living hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's why we celebrate the resurrection this morning, because it's the resurrection that gives us hope. The solutions that the world has really doesn't give us a whole lot of hope, do they? I mean, you think about it, uh, you know, some of the, the protests and things that have gone on over racial injustice and what ends up happening, some of those, those same minority businesses in those communities, they've been destroyed by violence and by looting. Or you think about our political process where a group of people decided that because they didn't like the election results, they were going to go to the Capitol building and they were going to try to take legislators hostage or even kill some, some political officials. And the problem is those solutions, as we've seen, they not only don't work, but they, they sometimes make the problems even worse. Fortunately for us, there is a solution to all those issues that are going on, and that solution is Jesus and as we're going to see this morning, it's the resurrection of Jesus that gives us hope even in the midst of some of these things that, that are going on in the world around us. That's why we're here to celebrate that this morning. I know the fact that you're here means you're probably familiar with the resurrection, at least to some regard. You've probably heard about it before, you've read about it before, some of you have heard about it for all your life. And so this morning what I want us to, to kind of do is to maybe to step back and take a look at the resurrection from a little different perspective. We're going to take a look at the resurrection through the eyes of the first three people that arrived at the tomb that Sunday morning, that Easter morning. And from them, we're going to learn how Jesus can take the, the resurrection and how He can change our lives as well. And this morning, we're going to see that there are really three ways that the resurrection can change our lives. And uh, so here's, here's how the empty tomb can change your life. It's the proof that Jesus can do these three things. That He can repair the broken, that He can refocus the brash, and that He can reassure the bashful. 
And my guess is that all of us in this room kind of fit into one or more of those categories to some degree. Some of you here this morning are are broken. Maybe you've uh, been dealing with the loss of a loved one. Maybe you're dealing with some health issues in your own life. Maybe you have difficulties in your marriage or with some of your other relationships, and, and those have really been tough. Maybe you have a job that you hate, that you have to go to day after day. Maybe you've been struggling in your finances. Maybe you got laid off during the pandemic or had your hours cut, and, and you're struggling there. Some of you this morning are at the other end of the spectrum. You know, things are going like really well in your life. I mean, you're just, things couldn't be better. And what happens when that, when that, we have that kind of success, that kind of blessing in our life is that we often kind of just push God off to the side. We get kind of arrogant and think, man, look what I've done for myself. And then there are some of you that that are frankly living in fear today. There's something that that's just makes you fearful and it's paralyzing your life. And so this morning what we want to do is we're going to, we're going to look at the account of the resurrection and we're going to see how the resurrection did those three things for three different people. People that are a lot like you and me as we're going to see this morning. Now the resurrection is recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they all give some different details about the, uh, the resurrection. I thought this morning we'd look at the account in John just because we spent the last seven weeks there looking at these different signs that, that Jesus did that proved that he was who he said he was. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up to John chapter 20 this morning. I'm going to also be kind of pulling in some information from some of the other Gospels to, to fill in some of the gaps Um, The verses will also be on the screen if you don't happen to have your Bible with you, and and you can follow along that way. So John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So this morning we're going to look at the account of these three different people, the first three people that were there to to see the empty tomb. And we're going to see that for each one of them, Jesus is going to bring the exact kind of healing that they needed in their life through the resurrection. And we're also going to begin to understand that He can do the very same thing for us, that regardless of where we are, He can do that for us. The thing I love about these three people is that they are just ordinary people. They're not heroes, they're not heroic, they're not perfect people, they're flawed just like us, and yet the resurrection is going to completely turn their lives upside down. And Jesus wants to do the same thing for us. So let's look first at Mary. 
And Mary shows us here how Jesus can repair the broken through the resurrection. Read here about Mary Magdalene, and uh, there's a lot of rumors and speculation and legend about Mary Magdalene and, and exactly who she was. Her name, Magdalene, means she probably just came from Magdala, which is a, a city on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee. And um, there's all kinds of speculation about her, and, and it runs the gamut. It goes all the way from on one end. Some people claim that she had been a prostitute. They claim that um, she was the same woman who had anointed Jesus' feet with her hair uh, earlier in one of the gospel accounts, although there's really nothing that would lead us to believe that she's that same person of all. There's nothing to indicate that she was a prostitute, but those are some of the kind of things that, that are out there. And then at the other extreme, you have some people who believe that, you know, that she was like instrumental in the early church, and she did have some influence and stuff there, but we don't really know exactly what that was. We just don't have the historical records there. But here's what we do know from the Scriptures about Mary. We read in, uh, in Luke's Gospel account, he gives us some background about who Mary was. And, and here's what Luke writes about Mary. He says, Soon afterward, he, speaking of Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. So these women had been healed. The first one he mentions here, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, and here's another key thing, who provided for them out of their means. So here's what we know. We know that she followed Jesus. We know that at some point she had had these seven demons, and Jesus had healed her of those demons. And we also know that she and the other women, they were providing financially for Jesus so he could go out and minister. So she was really important in there, but she'd been a broken person. I mean, think about it, to be, to be indwelled by these seven demons, we don't know exactly what the nature of that was, but it would have made her a broken person. And Jesus had begun the process of making her whole when he, when he cast those demons out. But we're going to find out here that there's still some things that Jesus needs to do with the resurrection in order to, to make her whole. So she goes to the tomb and Jesus' body isn't there. And, and she runs back to tell the disciples that, uh, you know, hey, the body is gone, which is what she thought had happened. And, and they come running back with her. And then in the next section of John, we're not going to have a chance to look at it, but this is where re Jesus really repairs her brokenness. She's in the garden. She's, she's distraught. She's grieving. And Jesus comes up to her. She thinks she's just the gardener. Until Jesus calls out her name and says, Mary. And at that moment, her eyes are open. She sees the resurrected Savior. And that brings healing to her brokenness. It brings restoration. It brings repair. And we know from historical records that Mary continued to be an important part of the early church and helping people to come to understand that Jesus was the Messiah. And what's really interesting is that she's the first one that actually becomes a witness to the risen Jesus. And that's way more significant than we could even imagine in our culture today because in that culture, in the Jewish culture, women couldn't even testify in court and yet she becomes the very first one 
that testifies to the resurrection of Jesus. That's how completely Jesus comes into her life and he heals her brokenness. And he wants to do the same thing for you. If you're broken this morning, Jesus wants to heal your brokenness. The next person we see here is, uh, is Peter. And we see here that Jesus is going to refocus his brashness. I mean, I, I can't think of a better word to describe Peter than brash, right? I mean, every time we see Peter, he's doing something crazy. He's telling Jesus, hey, Jesus, have me come out and walk on the water with you. Or when Jesus begins to wash the disciples' feet, he's like, Jesus, no, don't wash my feet. I want you to wash my hands and my head too. He's making brash claims. He's, on the night before Jesus goes to the cross, he says, Jesus, I will, I will never deny you. If everyone else leaves you, I won't deny you. And yet, what does he do just moments later, hours later, he denies Jesus three times. So Peter is hurting. That's the last time he'd seen Jesus is when he denied him. And he was hurting deep inside. So, so when Mary sees the empty tomb, it says that she goes to the disciples and the only one that's named there is Peter, which is really interesting. And the same thing is true in Mark's gospel. When Mark talks about the resurrection, here's what he writes. He says, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. The, the angel there singles out Peter, and that's because Peter was hurting. In his brashness, he had, he had betrayed his Lord and Savior. And now Jesus is going to heal that. So it tells us that uh, he and John, as we'll see in a moment, that they begin running. And John outruns them, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. And when Peter finally gets there, John hadn't gone in, but guess what? Peter, he's not going to wait. He, he jumps right in. He goes right into the tomb there. Now, these tombs, you have to understand the, the kind of tombs that they had back in that day. We know Jesus was buried in the tomb of a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea. And a tomb like that, it would have been big enough to have a a place to lay the body on one side of the tomb, and then a small bench on the other side of the tomb where a mourner could come in and, and mourn over the body, a little bit different than the way we bury bodies today. And the opening to get the body in there was really just kind of big enough to get the body through and for a person to walk in and out of, to, to mourn there. So, so he looks in, he sees there that uh, the, the burial claws are there, and then he just runs in there, it says, and he looks. But it says... He doesn't yet believe. Now, you can understand that. I mean, you can understand why Mary thought they'd robbed the grave, but he knew that hadn't happened. Because he goes in and he sees that the burial cloths there, they're, they're laid out nice and neatly there within the tomb. And the face cloth is, is folded up separately there. And um, in that day, there could have been grave robbers. There were grave robbers. And a lot of people were saying that later on that the disciples had come and, you know, stolen Jesus' body. But, but it wasn't grave robbers. Grave robbers wouldn't do that. I mean, think about this. They didn't embalm people back in that day. They wrapped them up in all these cloths. They put some, some spices in. The women were actually coming to the tomb to put some more spices in. And so if you're going to steal a body... Do you take time to unwrap it first? A body that's been there, laying there for three days is beginning to decay? I don't think so. I'm not going to do that. 
And even if you were gonna if you were gonna take the claws off the body for some reason, like to get the spices or something out, you're not gonna take time to fold them up neatly there. Grave robbing was a capital offense in the Roman Empire, and you're not gonna stick around there any longer than you need to. So so Peter sees and he knows that it isn't grave robbers, but he doesn't yet quite remember all the things that Jesus had told him, or at least it doesn't stick with him. And it's not until Jesus appears to to Peter and the other disciples that night that he finally understands. But the resurrection, it completely changes Peter. This brash guy that's making all these claims about 40 days here after the resurrection on the day of Pentecost, he gets up in front of a a large group of people, and he preaches a message. He uses the very same scriptures that it says he didn't understand here. He uses those to explain the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as a result of his preaching, it says that over 3,000 people came to put their faith in Jesus that day. That's how completely the resurrection changed Peter. It changed him from this, this brash guy who was just running around, sticking his nose in everywhere, to one of the pillars of the early church. And his ministry would continue until he died one day. And legend tells us that when he got ready to be killed by the Romans, he requested that he be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to die in the same same way that his Savior had died. Talk about changing somebody's life. That's what the resurrection did for Peter and that's what God wants to do with the resurrection for you too. Finally, we come to the last character here, John. And John is an example of how the resurrection can reassure the bashful. Now, i got to tell you here, John, he's the most fascinating character of the three to me in a lot of ways. He doesn't even name himself. He, this is his gospel he's writing. He just calls himself the other disciple. And at first you think, well, maybe that's because he's kind of a humble guy. But then what does he also call himself? The disciple that Jesus loved. Not a disciple that Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved. And you know what he's claiming? He's saying, I'm Jesus' favorite. And then not only that, as he writes his gospel account, he wants everyone to make sure that they know that he got to the tomb first. He tells them twice in there. I think he might be kind of like some of our family. Maybe he's kind of competitive, you know? And he wanted everyone to know, I I got there first. Now, he's probably a lot younger than Peter. As we're going to talk about in a moment, his ministry goes on far longer than everyone else. So so he gets to the tomb, but he's he's afraid to go in. I can't blame him. You know, we talked earlier about what this tomb would have been like, and he'd have peeked in, he'd have seen the burial clause there, and he's like, I ain't going in there. I mean... Maybe he's afraid Jesus would peek out and say boo and scare him. I don't know, but, but he's, he's too afraid to go in there. So he waits till Peter comes along. And of course, like we said, Peter comes in. He finally follows him in. He sees the burial clause there. And then it says something really significant. It says that he saw and believed. He saw and believed. And that word saw there, it's a really interesting word. It's used three or four times in this account, but this is a different word than the first ones that are used. It's a word that means to understand the significance of something. And so John didn't just see with his physical eyes. John saw with his spirit. 
And he saw the grave clothes there and he began to understand that this meant that Jesus had done exactly what he said he would do, that he had risen from the grave. And it says here that he believed. And I think he had a much deeper understanding of what Jesus had done here than than even Peter had. It's the same word that John uses later on in this same chapter. It's a verse that we've looked at time after time when he talks about the fact that Jesus did these seven signs that we looked at for the last seven weeks so that people would believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, and put their faith in Him. So he believed. And that's amazing because everyone else who believes in the resurrection of Jesus, they don't believe until they see the risen Lord. But John believes just because he sees the grave clothes there. And the resurrection completely changes John too. He ends up ministering longer than any of the other disciples, probably because he's pretty young at this point in time. We know that he writes the book of Revelation probably... 60 to 65 years later when he's in exile on the island of Patmos. So he has a long ministry. Dies an old man because the resurrection changes him. So this morning we see that the empty tomb is the proof that Jesus can repair the broken. That he can refocus the brash. That he can reassure the bashful. He did that for Mary and for Peter and for John. And that's good news, right? It's good news that that the empty tomb completely revolutionized their life. It completely transformed who they were. It completely healed everything that needed healing in their life. And that's good news. But the better news, the greater news, is that Jesus can do the very same thing for you. But He won't force you to change like that he offers it to you as a gift and he says if you will believe in me if you will believe that I rose from the grave if you will believe that I died on the cross for your sins then I'll do the same thing for you I'll repair your brokenness I'll refocus your brashness I'll reassure you if you're fearful if you're bashful and so this morning I want to invite all of us whether you're here in person, whether you're joining us online, I want to invite you to respond to that invitation that Jesus gives to you this morning. First of all, I want to talk to those of you who have already put your faith in Jesus. Maybe in your life you've experienced these things already. I'm pretty sure that you have. You've experienced Jesus healing your brokenness. You've experienced Jesus refocusing some of your own arrogance and your own pride. You've experienced Him giving you taking away that fear when you're fearful. And so in just a moment, we're going to have a a time to pray. And so one of the things I want to do is to encourage you during that time as we pray to just say, Jesus, thank you for what the resurrection has done in my life. That would be appropriate. But maybe there's some other area in your life right now where you're really struggling. Maybe there is some, some brokenness that needs to be fixed. Maybe you'd have to honestly say, you know, There are some areas of my life where I'm trying to live life on my own, where I'm trying to do things my own way, and it's just not working out, and I need to give those over to Jesus. Maybe there's some fear in your life that's paralyzing you and keeping you from living the life that Jesus wants you to live. And so as we pray, I want you to just ask Jesus to reveal those things to you and give them over to Him. Let Him work in your life. 
Now, there may be some of you here this morning who have never experienced what I've been talking about for the last few moments. Because you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone. And I want to encourage you to do that this morning. And you can do it right where you sit. As we have this time of prayer, just tell, just tell Jesus, I want you to do this in my life. I know that I need you in my life. I can't live life on my own. You don't have to use any fancy words or pray any you know, specific prayer. Just talk to Jesus like he was sitting in a chair across from you. And tell him what's on your heart. So you think you can do that? Let's spend a moment, a few moments right now just praying. Whatever God would lay on your heart, would you go ahead and just pray for these next few moments? Father, I just want to thank you this morning for the resurrection of Jesus, for the way it completely changed the lives of Mary and Peter and John. Father, for the way it's changed the lives of many of the people in this room this morning, those joining us online. I just pray that you would continue to do that in our lives. I pray especially this morning for, for anyone here who has never put their faith in Jesus. I pray this morning that they would understand how the resurrection can completely transform their lives. They would accept the gift that you've given to them through Jesus. Pray that in his name, for his sake. Amen. You know, we talked earlier about the fact that in this world, the world has a lot of different ways that, that we can try to respond to the brokenness that is going on around us. In the world, we do live in a broken world, right, with broken people. And we can either choose those ways of the world, or we can choose to put our faith in Jesus and let Him be the solution, let Him transform our lives. I pray that you would join me in doing that. If there's anything that we can do to help...